The Adventures of Elizabeth Crown presents The Battle of Ruritania Epilogue Elizabeth's Journal There's nothing more pitiful than a neglected diary. You see all those blank pages, knowing full well that they can't fill themselves with the day's events. But after a fortnight like this one, where does a girl even begin? I suppose I'll start with the battle, which ended as most battles do, with a great deal to clean up. Castle Brutzen is in shambles. Half the windows are shattered, and so much furniture is broken that there's hardly a place to sit. No painting or sculpture was spared in the attack, although if you ask me, some of them look a good deal better. In the end, there was only one true casualty, that poor man Lucas. He was beloved around the kitchen and distantly related to some of the other servants, and of course any loss of life, especially a loss so callous and unnecessary, is a heartbreaking thing. But we were lucky. Given the Manzi's intentions, I doubt a single one of us should have survived their assault. Speaking of which, it seems that Sir Shanley and Lavinia went on a shooting spree. They took out two of the creatures before we determined the castle was clear. Where the last two went, we have no idea. They didn't seem like the types to retreat, so perhaps they were just distracted by something outside, some easier prey. Whatever the case, they're gone now. We felled eight and that last pair is no longer our concern. But the plot thickens. When we at last ventured outside, we found a single man laid out on the ground, an older man with white hair and a puffy fur coat. To say he was dead is a gruesome understatement. He had a passport in his pocket, which identified him as Dr. Yuri Fyodorovich Gelkin. Damned if I know who he is, but we have a working theory. He was most likely a colleague of the Soviet biologist Ilya Ivanovich Ivanov, that fellow bent on breeding humans and apes together. I have a hunch that Gelkin fell out of favor with the party, and he offered his services to Prince Michael. What's curious about his manzies is the approach. He wasn't breeding them but constructing them out of organic parts. He vivisected the creatures to his taste, then used galvanism, that is, electrical currents, to reanimate them. The Order has seen this process done before, and I myself have been uncomfortably intimate with the process. But this is a very sophisticated result, far beyond anything we've imagined possible. As a scientist, I am impressed. As a red-blooded human with her soul intact, I'm downright horrified. How poetic, then, that this Dr. Gelkin should fall victim to his own creation, seemingly beaten to death in the minutes before the attack began. Pity it didn't happen the first time. Perhaps the other Romani camp might have survived its own tragedy. But we owe those others a great deal, very likely our lives, 
and we can rest assured that Dr. Gelkin's handiwork is, at the very least, postponed. The threat remains, of course. Prince Michael is still prince, and at any minute the king could drop dead and Michael will be crowned. Whatever his vendetta against the world, it won't be hindered by one measly bludgeoned scientist. Tyrants are, if nothing else, persistent. And I doubt this is the last battle Baron von Brutzen will have to fight. So much for palace intrigue. The time has come for that most unpleasant question. What do we do now? Good things have already happened. Rudolf will host the Romani for the remainder of the winter. They, in turn, will help him repair his chateau. And Rudolf, also in turn, will pay them a stipend, likely a better wage than they've ever earned in their lives. Among the many conveniences of this arrangement, it seems Lavinia is a skilled truffle hunter, and the Baron has a voracious appetite for truffles. That's one delicacy I'll happily leave to the experts, but these two should be in fungivorous heaven. The most refreshing news is that Vadoma has stirred from her coma. She's anxious and hasn't said much. The poor thing jolts at any sudden move, but she's eating full meals and letting the Romani mothers dote on her, which gives me hope. Tonight, we'll share a final meal in the castle, in that strange dining room full of mirrors, which was miraculously untouched in the fighting. There will be lots of wine and toasting, and we'll say our goodbyes to Rudolf and Milos and all the others. It's a bittersweet farewell to leave them in such a troubled time, and to know our victory is soured with a tragic loss, which, of course, is our next burden to bear. Our next stop is England. We'll spend a week or so in Nestershire, a town I haven't seen in years, not since I was first inducted into our little society. We've cabled the terrible news to Lexi, who, I'm sure, is a weeping mess. Sir Shanley will make sure she's taken care of, but that's small consolation for such a loving widow. Professor O'Malley wished to be buried in a local cemetery, and there are many arrangements to make. I don't look forward to reliving all that sadness. I don't like sadness. It's a rather tedious feeling. Mourning is for the birds, or for the doves, anyway. But you just can't stop that heartache. You have to let it run its course. The biggest surprise is Sondor, who has taken O'Malley's death quite badly. He confessed to me last night the circumstances of the professor's fatal fall. As they fled the scene, the two men could only take the rope one at a time, and O'Malley insisted that Sondor go first. With a clearer head, Sandor might have argued, but he's never been one for debate. What a difference a few seconds make. One little switch, and O'Malley would be the one who survived, while Sandor would be gone. It's an awful thought, and I don't like to ask what if any more than I have to. Sandor has never shed a tear in my presence, but he did last night. 
No matter how you comfort a man in those straits, he's destined to blame himself. Or maybe we're all to blame. How cavalier we are, waltzing into strange lands and meddling in local affairs, thinking we can break into an enemy's stronghold without consequence, just because we've done it a dozen times before. We've gotten cocky, haven't we, we oncologists? We think, because we see threats no one else does, that they are only fatal to others. I don't regret our tactics here in Ruritania. The ends have justified the means. But I do regret my presumption that O'Malley would return from such a perilous mission unscathed. We oughtn't play with fire and be surprised when our most precious things go up in smoke. For who would I be without O'Malley? The man gave me everything. He gave me purpose. He gave me vim. He pried the lid off the world and let me root around inside. And much to his chagrin, he gave me Sandor. He once had the gall to ask me who I really was, and it's only because of his prodding that I've ever bothered to find out. And with that in mind, I must return to America. Maud has loved her European tour, nail-biting and all, but she's missed Pittsburgh, as do I. Sandor will stay in Nestershire and help Sir Shanley fill the void. There, we shall say adieu. Hard words to write. I can scarcely believe I penned them at all. Adieu, adieu, how do you say goodbye to a man like Sandor? I spent eight years punishing him for his one stupid choice, and now that we're together, it feels like so much wasted time. And yet, we're not the picket fence types. We're the types who are at our best when we're missing someone. That's precisely what we must do now. Miss each other, and keep earning our place in each other's lives. Until then, I'm sure I'll find something to occupy me. This concludes the Battle of Ruritania, written and performed by Robert Eisenberg. The Adventures of Elizabeth Crown are produced by Airmail Media in beautiful Providence, Rhode Island. Music provided and licensed by Audioblocks.com. To learn more about the exciting field of uncanology, visit ElizabethCrown.net. Dot net.